Abba Yahweh, the opportunity that you have given to me yet again, Father. Thank you for this time that I have to be in your word with you, sharing your word, and you're guiding me through your spirit and showing me what I need to know and allowing me to share it, to be a conduit, Father. Abba Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua, Aman, Barakutos, Aman. So, the Holy Spirit showing me something that I need to be readily and more aware of. And remember, when I share with you, it's as if I'm looking at a small over mirror, which I don't have in front of me. I have all my, I have my bookshelves and things above my desk. But when I'm sharing with you all, pardon me, please. <clears throat> pardon me. When I'm sharing with you and God is using me as a conduit, as a way to get word to you, messages to you, um, that's what I am and that's what I do. And he blesses me greatly in that because sometimes there are folks that receive what I'm saying and listen to what I'm saying and then they go find a, a Bible verse and they are immensely blessed. Well, God blesses me by that being done and using me as a device to get that done. And that's way okay with me. Way okay. I, I signed that blank contract. And I use that analogy only for um, clarity and understanding and, and some folks might not get that, but it's more of a covenant between me and God and that he allows me to do this because it's about his business that I am. And giving anyone, anyone an opportunity to be redeemed and saved. So that being said, back to the mirror. So wherever I look in the room and, and sitting here doing this and sharing with you all, I have this mirror that, that floats in front of my face, imagination. So I'm talking to myself. I'm not just out here blathering a bunch of words to people that I can't see because I can't see any of you. I don't know any of a few that might listen. Um, I may know them if they happen to come up to me at a later time and say something. Um, but for the most part, I can't see any of you. I don't know if I'm getting to you, reaching you. I can't see that you're happy or sad by what you're hearing, any of that. None of that registers here where I am. It, it, just, it just doesn't happen. Um, and it's important that you know that I'm not just speaking out to you or down to you or at you. This is things that I share that are directed to me as well. In particular this morning and having to the realization and sometimes what happens, what the devil likes to do is he puts these um, subtle ideas and thoughts in your head that you're going to take care of it and it's going to be okay. And the thing that, that um, when he comes at me with that, it's to get me to forget that God is relative to every, every single thing that we do, every single thing that we're involved in or about or with, he is our good, good father. And he wants to help us do anything at all on this plane of existence. It's all about him being our good father. My earthly father wanted to be involved and I shared with you the separation because we didn't communicate with one another. So he thought I outgrew him. I thought he didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore as a, as a kid. And and um, so we didn't have catch anymore. We didn't talk about fishing anymore. We didn't go fishing anymore. We used to fish a lot together. And all that changed when we started to communicate again and that 
he learned that I didn't outgrow him and that I was missing the time that we spent together. And is this not what we do to our Heavenly Father? It is indeed what we do to our Heavenly Father. When we turn away from him and we stop communicating with him and we stop listening or looking for him, things become silent. But it's not on his part because he always continuously speaks to us. And I share that in particular because of uh, something I was trying to take care of this morning. I was trying to take care of this morning and I failed. I got it done, but it was um, through a great deal of issue and things that shouldn't have gone the way that they did but because I was doing it. Now, I've shared with you before the Hall of Faith. This is what some theological wizards like to call it, and some genuine theologians call it the same thing. I don't know where they got it from, but it's their idea and their thoughts, so I'm going to share on that. Um, in Hebrews 11, it's called the, the Hall of Faith, or what they like to call the Hall of Faith, and it lists a whole bunch of people a whole bunch of people and their faith and so forth and so on, except that there seems to be a falling out or a shortcoming and that they don't express the fact that all those names that are listed there were also, they had failed in dealing with that faith first. And they had tried to accomplish everything on their own first. And then realizing that, and the Spirit tugged at them. This is what the Holy Spirit does with us. Gets us to realize that we can't do it on our own. And that God is there to help us and wants to help us. Whereas the devil tries to fight against that. Now, this this is that um, thing that I talked about and I've shared with you before, this um, spiritual warfare that goes on, which is real. So, And I do not ever, ever intend to apologize for using the term army, armor, warfare. Um, and you have to look at it different. It's not simply because I was in the Marines and I... You know, I'd spent time in the military. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with facts, truth, and honesty. God made us an armor, provides for us, gives to us, and in his expectation of us to put it on. And if you fail to put on the full armor of God and stand tall and resolute and bold and courageous and stand against the onslaught of the enemy, and the fiery darts and arrows that are going to come. And if you don't put on that armor, you're going to get pierced. You're going to get speared. And you're going to have to deal with the attack of the enemy. And it's sometimes painful. And I'm not going to apologize about the, the large number of people being called an army. Because that's just what it is. And these terms do not have anything to do with militaristic operations. And I've shared that with you before. The dry bones that Ezekiel prophesied over. And they stood up and they began to, in his vision, they began to have flesh and sinew and, and the breath of God came into them. And it was a large army, the term a large army. Well, it was talking about the entire nation of Israel that had allowed their bones to dry up. And if you go to Ezekiel 37, it shows there, you can read about the vision that Ezekiel had and being taken in the spirit to the Valley of Dry Bones and his prophecy over them according to the word of God and by God's direction. And he did that. And then at the end of 37, you see where in the problem lies. They saw in themselves no hope. They gave it up for their part. What does that mean? It means that they gave it up. 
wasn't that they didn't have any. They just decided that they were going to give it up because they didn't believe they had it. Much like the spies when they went into the land of Canaan. They convinced the nation of Israel that God is not good enough or big enough or powerful enough to take us in and give us what he promised he would give to us. So we can't do it because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. So what they were doing was making themselves smaller in the eyes of the enemy and that God was not powerful enough. Well, the Bible, God's word, his infallible truth, his guidebook, his roadmap, and his instruction manual tells us that Jesus gave us authority. God has given us authority over the serpents, the scorpions, and I've shared this with you before, I do believe that that is Bible speak for the demons. Serpents and scorpions, demons. We have been given authority to step on the heads of serpents, on scorpions, and to face down the power of the enemy himself and come to no harm. What does that mean? We have that authority. It's been given to us. We need to stop forgetting it and grab on and hold on and declare it and claim it. And honestly, I do forget sometimes. And the devil takes great delight in the fact that he has got us to forget that or that we just did and that he comes in and he starts doing this little dance and jig around us. Of course, you can't see it, but he's pleased with that. He's pleased because he thinks that he won. Well, he didn't win. He might have gotten a little skirmish, but he didn't win anything. This is why it's important that you wear that full armor of God. And it's actually quite comfortable. Wear the full armor of God. And what does it say? It, it tells, Go to Ephesians chapter 6. It tells us what that armor of God is about. So that we can suffer against the slings and arrows of the enemy that come and the fiery darts and the, the accusations and all these things. And if you're wearing the helmet of salvation, which is really the telling point of the, of the armor and the important part of the armor, because with the helmet of salvation, that protects our mind and it helps keep our mindset straight and that Jesus came and died for us and God came and manifested himself as man on earth and died on the cross for us because he loves us so much and that sets in your head, helps to protect your heart, the breastplate of righteousness that you can stand upright, bold and courageous in righteousness. If you're righteous in what you share and speak, no harm will come. No harm will be given and no harm will come because it is righteous. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. God is our buckler. I, I gave you the definition of that term before, the buckler. What is a buckler? It said that shield, it has a strap that you can put your arm through and then hold on to the handle. And the buckler is kind of small so you can, you can turn it from side to side, front, and, and you can lift it up in front of your face and your head and you can drop it lower and go to the left and then turn and go to the right. And you can even drop your arm behind you and, and block from the rear, you're paying attention. And there were a lot of uh, armies actually back in the time of Jesus that they liked that buckler. The buckler was a great sense of defense for them and they'd go in with a short sword. And they could go in, they could move fast, they had protection and they could do what they needed to do. But God is our buckler, he is our shield, he is our protective in front of us, aside us, behind us. He's all around us all the time. He is our buckler. He's our protector. And gird about with the sword of truth. What is that? It's the Bible. Remember I shared with you the Greek terminology and depending on what it is, there's two different words. You got the logos and ramos, rama, rema. I'm not Greek, so I might mispronounce, I apologize. But it has a twofold depending on what the context is. If the logos is like a, an armory or the collection, uh, it can be looked at as an armory. 
because the word of God is full of swords of truth, the scriptures. So it could be looked at as a logos, the armory, and then you can draw rema as need be, but it's described as a, as a sword of truth. Again, this has nothing to do with temporal militarization. It has to do with spiritual warfare that we are in, and the Bible tells us that we are in. Before I share with the nature of things, I, I feel like I need to go over here and remind folks of what this is about and get people's ideas readjusted because it has nothing to do with militarism. I'm not even sure if that's a word. I think I might have just made it up. But it has nothing to do with militaristic attitude and people want to get that. And then what happens is you have spiritual leaders and advisors that apologize for using the term armor, army. And... <laughs> Okay, so don't soft soap the gospel. Don't apologize for speaking truth. And if you're righteous about it, what do you have to apologize for? So when you start doing that, it's like the Bible tells us that you should not be ashamed of the gospel. So if you have to apologize for it, that means that you have shame in what you said. I'm not going to apologize for anything I say because what I always share is the truth. So help me, God, Paracletos, the truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, the truth, always the truth. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then further reading in 13 through 18, he describes each part of the armor but the important thing of it is that you have to understand this is not a temporal, and the, when uh, the term temporal, that is on this earthly plane of existence as we see things with our human eyes and look around, what we're talking about here is spiritual realm on a different, total different plane of existence. It's real and it's there and we are in a spiritual warfare And we do not wrestle against things that are temporal. It is a spiritual warfare that we're in. It's nothing about what we see around us. It's not about our next door neighbor that we see over there and what's going on there. But then also, Paul reminds us in verse 18, we see praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So all your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, you pray for them and even pray over your neighbors. If they're not if they're not believers or you don't think that they're believers because of things that they do, don't pick a fight with them and don't argue with them. Don't confront them and don't be in their face about it. Pray for them. The opportunity. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be about. We pray always for everything. And when you look through spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual hearing, and this helps us because, as I've shared with you, when you... <clears throat> When you go into an elevator, you go in and, and some buildings, they have um, they have some, uh, they get some piped in music. Um, I've shared this with um, elevator music. 
you know, you get in and you can, there's something playing. You can hear and can tell that there's music, but you're not really listening to it, so you don't recognize it. So when you have spiritual hearing, you can hear clearly things that are being spoken that others may not, or that you recognize it to be God speaking to you. And when you look with spiritual eyesight, you can see and recognize all around you. And this is everything that is around us all the time. God surrounds us with his love and he tries to show that to us. Uh, doesn't try to, he does. He shows it to us all the time. Well, whether we're looking with spiritual eyesight or paying attention, that is the issue. And God reminds us that he's with us. He's all around us. He encircles us uh, with a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset, whatever's going on. And he always, uh, in my reading this morning, he, it's, I'm reminded that he always pays attention to us and he's always face to face. Have you ever been sitting at, uh, at supper, a real supper, not as they, uh, not as done now. See, in my day, you used to sit down and supper the last meal of the day. And a lot of times you would have, it was always important that the entire family was there. And pretty much when I was younger, there was a rule in the house that when supper came around, unless you were given special permission, you were at the table. All the brothers, mom and dad, and you could have an invited guest. But everyone was at the table. And back in those days, of course, we had no cellular telephone, but the older brothers were not allowed to answer the telephone, uh, to talk to girlfriends and such, which they often try to do with their friends. Um, and most of the time, it was either mom or dad answered the phone. And if one of the brothers got up and got to the phone first, they were told that they couldn't, they were told that the, Light and simple response was, can't talk right now, it's supper. Call you back later. That was it. That was the extent of the conversation. It was not allowed to continue anything more. And if dad answered the phone, it was, we're having supper right now, he'll call you later. Very simple. Mom, she sometimes would take a note and write the person's name down, but usually it was the... Pat answer, can't talk right now, we're having supper. He'll call you later, sweetheart, or he'll call you later, honey. Mom was always that term of endearment. That's just the way my earthly mother was. Dad, a little more direct, but that's okay because he was always nice to the kids. But supper is an important time. You sat down and paid attention, and I bring that up because it is this, that God likes to talk to us, and he likes to do it face-to-face. God's not going to talk to you through an earshot or he's not going to be so far walking behind you and then have to talk to the back of your head. You ever been in a place where you have conversations like that? It's kind of, it's, in a way, it's annoying. Uh, when I was younger and we used to do the backpacking and you were talking to your buddy or whatever and you were trail hiking, the trail was narrow. You couldn't walk side by side. You had to walk single file and you would talk to somebody either behind you that you couldn't see or you couldn't see the face of the person in front of you. You couldn't tell if they were making a face at you or what they were doing. But the conversation was on and continued and we were generally talking about what we were going to do when we got to camp and fish and so forth and so on. But God likes to speak to us face to face. He enjoys that and he's around us all the time in doing that. So I'm going to share some things with you here in regards to we need to pay attention with our spiritual hearing and our spiritual eyesight. And we're going to go first to Psalm 96, verse 12. And I bring that up because we're talking about God. And David writes his poem. 
Actually, I had to read the whole thing because it's really beautiful. And it talks about the whole thing, but, but, and I will, I'm going to actually. 96, Psalm 96, sing unto the Lord a new song on sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen. This wonders among all people. Now, you have to understand, culturally back then, heathen is not a... Don't get your knickers all in a twist about it, okay? Because it's not a derogatory term. It's just, it's a separation of of peoples, okay? Now, of course, you know, the Jews, they, the chosen, and they came out of Egypt and then so forth and so on. But they're talking just like it was the Gentiles were those others that were not marching out of Egypt with them and didn't go to Jerusalem or come to the promised land. It's just a separation and it's a, more a clerical separation. Okay, so now there were some wild folk, but don't get your knickers in a twist about it. It's a cultural issue that is not important enough to fight against. That's vanity. There are more important things. And the important thing is that God speaks to us through all things. 96 verse 12. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then all the trees of the wood rejoice. And just so you know, before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth, he shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Now, this is a prophetic word from David back here. Some, um, we're talking about a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Think about it. A thousand years before God came incarnate as man and died on the cross. David was talking about him coming and still talking about his coming and that he is going to come and he's promised to come again. So now we're going to jump over to the brook book of Romans and this is where spiritual eyesight and spiritual hearing is very important uh, book of Romans 1 and 20 for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his in eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. excuse. So you're going to have individuals created by God. And when God asked the very pointed question, why? Why did you not pay attention? Why did you not believe? And why didn't you treat one another with kindness and compassion as I told you? Well, we didn't know. We, 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 we didn't know. We didn't hear. Well, wait a second. What did Romans just tell you? His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuses. You can look all around you, all around you, all the time, every day. Even in the thunderstorms. I, sometimes I will stand on my front porch or I'll be in a sheltered area and I just watch the lightning and I hear the thunder crash and roll. And sometimes I've been down by the ocean and I can hear the roaring of the waves. Or sometimes I'm in a place where I can just hear the torrential rain. I've been there many times, courtesy of the U.S. military. Thank you. And the strength of the typhoon and the wind and the blowing and the falling of the rain is so powerful. Been in places where the rain has been at a 90 degree angle to the earth and just flying and it can 
if you're bare skinned or you have bare skin visible, it feels like needles flying through the air. God is in that. God is there. That's his power and his majesty. But there are going to be those that are going to succumb to the subtleties and the depravity that is preached and the white noise interference that comes from the devil. The majesty is declared by everything from God. The waterfalls, great thundering, roaring waterfalls. Thunder and lightning. I've shared with you that I've been out in the middle of the Yosemite Valley in the middle of wintertime. I love it there. Everything is quiet. The hustle and bustle is near gone. People that come up into Yosemite Valley in the winter are few and far between. So there's hardly anyone there. And to stand out there in the middle of the night, in the middle of the snow-covered field, nothing moving, and you can hear, in the far distance, you can hear the elk trumpeting. Sometimes, if you listen very carefully, you can hear the bears up for midnight snack grunting and grumbling as they go. And when you look around you at the high majestic mountains that were pushed up by the power of God, and you can see that the clouds are moving across the face of the mountains, I see God moving. I hear God calling out to me and the trumpet of the elk. And in the stillness that is there, I hear him speak. I shared something with my class the other day and it's very profound and very truth, very much the truth. And it's a, it's a pretty picture and at night But the words, silence isn't empty, it's full of answers. If you're listening with spiritual hearing, the silence is full of answers. And it's that way with God. God will not always have something he wants to say to you because he's your good, good friend. He's your heavenly father. He's also your sovereign God, your sovereign Lord, King, the creator of all everything, all things made. Everything is made by him. And yet, and yet, he desires to have a personal relationship with you and he desires your closeness and he's devoted to you, whether you seem to realize it or not, he is devoted to you. And he doesn't always come to say something to you. Sometimes he just wants to come and be with you. He wants to, and here's that magic word again, abide. Abide doesn't mean that he's going to Hey, hi, got to go now. See you. See you next time. That's not what that means. God wants to come and spend time. Just like supper, the last meal of the day was important. That supper was all the family together. And sometimes we had a supper that was really special because aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and Cousins, and we had to put two tables together to fit everybody. Oh, my goodness gracious. And everyone came just to be. And in those days, there were no cell phones. There was no issue about techno, electronic, anything. We all sat at the table, and we were all engaged in conversation, one with another. It was a beautiful thing. I loved it. 
Nowadays, you have all this electronics that take precedence over everything, and it's foolishness. Foolish. So now we're going to jump over to Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 11, and we're going to go to verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. What does that mean? That means that God made them. We see them, the fields, the mountains. Who pushed all that stuff up there? And quite honestly, when I go downtown or have an opportunity to get there, and I go, and I look at all the skyscrapers and all those buildings, yeah, you had human hands that put the stuff together, but where did the knowledge and the wisdom and how to put those things together come from? And there will be those that want to give credit to individuals. Oh, they learned that in school. They went to that, they are architectural college and they learned how to do Oh, wait a second, that knowledge just came to them and somebody gave them a book. No, no, it doesn't didn't quite work that way. Just like these theological wizards, they think because they went to college and they have some, they have some man or woman sign off on a really pretty scrolled uh, certificate piece of paper that's got some nice filigree on it and they put it in a frame and they hang it on the wall above their desk so that when anybody comes into their study, they look right at that and they see that and they don't pay attention to much of anything else because their arrogance is tied up in a certificate signed by man. They have a theological degree and they have a doctor tacked in front of their name. I don't, and my speech may not be as eloquent as theirs, but I know things. I know things because the Holy Spirit gives them to me, allows them, God has given me the knowledge and the wisdom and things to apply together and given me that. And I'm not going to apologize for things I say. I had an, a situation come up when I was speaking about Jesus as a child and I made a term and someone seemed to be offended. Well, that's too bad. I'm not going to apologize for it because you have to understand that when Jesus was a child and they denied him faith and they refused to believe in him and they cited the fact that he was a child and they knew his brothers and sisters and they remembered Jesus as a child, but people are going to say things. But the point of it is that they were belittling Jesus and they were detracting and they were not going to admit to having any faith in him and they believed that he didn't have the authority that he had to speak. That was the point, but they wanted to go all the way around and skirt that and they wanted to hold on to the fact that something was said that got their knickers in a twist about Jesus. Well, Jesus as a child had not grown into the maturity as yet, and he was still a child. <clears throat> Remember that when the only begotten son walked on the face of this earth, he was fully a man and fully God. That's the mystery people can't understand. They try to figure it out with their finite mind, and they can't. <clears throat> Pardon me. His heavenly attributes were not with Jesus until he talked to God and they were connected. So when Jesus was walking <clears throat> on the face of this earth, pardon me, he was as a man and as a child. Do you not think that he was like a kid and as adults that I knew that were in orchards and things and whether you were actually doing all the heathenistic stuff that the other kids were doing and breaking things off and doing it, you might not have been it, but you were with them. So the adults came out, and then when they made a report to your parents, which sometimes they did because they could recognize you even from a distance. That happened with me a few times. And they would report to the parents, and they recognized you. They lumped you into the category of those kids, those brats. Well, truthfully, Jesus was 
lumped into that category. The kids were in the pomegranates, they were in the orchard, they were in the fields, and they shouldn't have been, and the people, the adults, were upset about that. Now, when Jesus came back to Nazareth and tried to do something because of his love and his compassion for his mother, he was not able to do anything in Nazareth, and the scriptures tell us. And why was that? Because of their lack of faith. They didn't believe in Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, and he was actually ridiculed and told that he would be, they tried to put him to death, actually, in Nazareth. They were going to put him to death. They were going to stone him at the edge of the precipice that was behind the church. At his own church that he grew up in Nazareth, his mother was present. He had relatives that were present. He had people that were there that knew him in other circumstances. But they didn't stand up and say anything. Instead, they listened to what was being said. We know who you are. We know your brothers and sisters. You were in the family that lived down at the end of Main Street. You were that brat that was running through the pomegranates with the other children and this and that and the other thing. Well, don't get twisted and all upset and let your knickers get in a knot about that because it's true. As a child, they didn't recognize him as Jesus Christ. And even as an adult, as Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, they still didn't recognize that. What they wanted to do was because he spoke truth and they didn't recognize the truth because as a Pharisee and a religious leader in that church, all that detracted from their authority. So instead, declared that Jesus should be stoned and put to death. So they put their hands on him and they walked him out and they were going to do so, except that Jesus scaled their eyes and he walked away from them. It's not time. This isn't going to happen. Not now, not today, not by you. And just simply walked through the crowd and walked away. Now I'm going to share this with you that some in that crowd at that time, they might have realized, oh, maybe this pharisaical, tyrannical religious leader that is teaching here, this rabbi that's teaching in our temple is not as wise as we thought he was. Where'd this man go? Where'd Jesus go? He was here. Now he's not? Wait one minute. Hold on just a minute. Where Are we missing something? Did we miss something? Yes, you did. Because you weren't listening with spiritual ears. You weren't paying attention with spiritual eyesight, which is important that we do that. And now we're going to go back to David's poetry. I like his poetry and I like his writing. Psalm 8 and verse 1. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heaven. Wow. All glory to the Lord. And that has been set above all things. When you look up, um, I have a really good brother who sent me, posted this picture. It's very beautiful. He, he's got this, he's got, uh, I guess you could call him a shutterbug. And he took this picture of this clouds. It's absolutely beautiful, but it looks like a crown. And then because of the way the sun is behind it, you have the shadow of off the clouds that are showing upward. And it looks like a crown. It's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Now we're going to jump over to John 1 and 3. Now, notice here that this is also following the rule of faith, regula fidei. Goes from New Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. And when I do that, I notice that the tapestry is so tightly woven and so neat, there's no puckering in the material. God is an excellent tailor, and when he puts it together, there is no fault in the seam. It's seamless. 
So now we go to John 1 and 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And if you remember in John 1, 1, that's describing Jesus as the word and the word being with God. It's where Jesus came from. It is who Jesus is. And it's also the declaration of his sovereignty. Also the declaration of his sovereignty. Now we're going to go to Isaiah, back to the Old Testament again. And we're going to go to Isaiah 45 and 12. You can follow along with me or I'll read it to you. Either way. 45 and verse 12. And God is speaking. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens and all their hosts have I commanded. That in and of itself is a very powerful statement and know that, and David has penned this in the poems and there is found in other scriptures where it declares the formation simply by God's word, simply by breathing into the existence, it happens. Now we're gonna go to another Old Testament book. And it is the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is uh, in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Thought I had it marked. I don't. I apologize. But Ecclesiastes is a book written by one of God's prophets. Oh, I'm so sorry. I missed my mark my apologies but this is an important marking as well I do humbly apologize for I cannot I had it marked I thought I had it marked Just looking in the wrong place. Apologies. Ecclesiastes. If we go to Ecclesiastes, which is right before, uh, right after Proverbs and right before the Song of Solomon. And if you go to Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their hearts that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. What does that mean? Well, that no man can find out or understand. This is like it is described in the book of Proverbs, lead not unto your own understanding, because this is what we have a tendency to do. We think that we're gonna be able to do something or take care of it, like I learned this morning. That's not correct. And what did I do? I eliminated the conversation that I should have had with God and thought that I would take care of it on my own. And I didn't want to bother God with the triviality. But here's the thing. There's nothing too small that is about us that God doesn't mind being involved in. God is a good, good father. Not only is he our sovereign Lord God Almighty, but he is our good, good father. And probably one of the most important scriptures, I think, in regards to uh, spiritual eyesight and spiritual hearing and leaning in and listening 
and can actually be learned. And, and I'm going to share this with you. I know this seems a little off schedule, but it's not. Okay. I have one of my, in my Indian culture, one of my spiritual guides, as they call them, is a bear. And a lot of people have this misconception about the bear. They think the bear is is for power and strength and for you to be a strong warrior and such and such and such and such. Well, actually, that's only in a limited way is that true. A bear is a teacher. And the shamanistic or the spiritual leaders would follow the bears because the bears taught them to hunt, to fish, what to feed, and medicines that were found in God's medicine cabinet. And unlike Big Pharma nowadays, which declares that they can make things better, faster, and stronger than God. So here, buy this and take this and pay this exorbitant price on it. And it's only going to poison you in time, but it's okay. We made it better and faster and stronger than God. Better than anything you can find in his medicine cabinet. Nope, only in their mindset. So now we go to Job. And we're going to go to Job 12 and start in verse 7. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand is it? The soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste his meat? With the ancient of his wisdom and in the length of days understanding, with him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. So it is God's leading and his strength always in everything that we do. Brothers and sisters, I share that with you because this is something that we forget all the time. God is with us. God is around us always. And he promises to be with us whithersoever we go and to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers going out and coming in. Be blessed.